0: Hello everyone, thank you so much for downloading this episode of Pod. It's been quite the few weeks for the Bees on and off the pitch since we released our last show. On the pitch, more of the same in terms of disappointing performances and pretty shocking results against clubs that we would be expecting to beat at any level of football. But off the pitch, it's where things have really taken up a pace. We've got a new background staff, potentially a new manager, a new director of football, but the same old mad statement coming from the top. In today's episode we pick through tk's latest missive on the website we look forward to the upcoming games at the end of the season and we ponder what will happen to the bees in the future thanks so much for sticking with us we really hope you enjoy the show take care everyone hello everyone and welcome to uh, the latest edition of bees pod um, we've got a bit to discuss i think this evening uh, but to start off with i'd like to start by introducing uh, two of our fantastic guests as ever, I am joined uh, by Mem this evening. Uh, Mem, how are you? What have you been up to? And uh, what's been happening at Barnet, really?
1: Yeah, been okay. Been fairly busy. Nothing much going on at Barnet, really.
0: Yeah, it's not much. To, not much. to report about. Uh, we're delighted also to be joined by uh, by Trevor now, uh, Barnet's uh, laureate in chief. Uh, Trevor, how are you doing this evening?
2: Yeah, fine, thanks, Ian.
0: I guess you must be struggling for things to write about, Trevor, in the last few weeks. things, things have really sort of dried up around the club.
2: Absolute struggle, it really is, you know, No, no hardly any non-league football going on and there's just nothing coming out of Barnet, is there? Surrenders.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, this is probably only the fourth or fifth most controversial thing that's happened uh, in the course of the last two seasons. Uh, we are, of course, referring to uh, the statement, uh, as Jack Reynolds would call it on Twitter. Um, there's a desperate uh, demand every time the bees go through a run of negative form for us to have a statement. Um, but I don't think anyone quite saw uh, what was released uh, the other evening uh, by our chairman in chief, Mister Cleantis. I mean, man. Jokes aside, what, what was your reaction when you when you read through uh, what was posted on the website? I think it was on Tuesday evening.
1: Well, I read through it, and and my eyes were actually was drawn more to the structural changes. So I looked at, it, I went, "Oh, that's good. I like that. I like that." And um, so you know, quickly popped up. This is positive. This is positive. Then I had another reread, and I went, "Ah, okay, um, yeah." <laughs> it was a bit like that, really.
0: Yeah, it was. It was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, Trevor, what about yourself? You, you've you've seen quite a few mad things in your time of following the bees. I mean, this statement must must be up there one of the most strange things that you've you've read uh, in your time following the club.
2: It's horrendous, and I mean, I, I mean, you know, same as Mem, I I read it, started reading it, and thought. Mm, right okay and then we get a little bit further down and oh there's a bit of a managerial report that's a bit strange burying that in the middle and then finishing on a bit of a, a bit of a low a bit of a low note again and then I had to reread it again and again when I woke up the next morning just to make sure that what I read I had actually read um, and I still didn't believe what I'd read
0: yeah it was it was absolutely bizarre it was part of sort of staged q and a it was part managerial appointment it was part rant at the fans and um, yeah it was it was quite an incredible statement and i think actually in the way it probably wasn't intended to be it's quite revealing as to where i think tk's at as the owner of the club and also where he sees potentially the future and what we're going to do this evening is we're going to actually spend quite a bit of time just going through this and and discussing it ourselves and for those of you that haven't seen the statement I don't think there's many of you um, it's broken down into six questions and so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go through and answer these six questions and have a look at really what TK said um, and then sort of discuss uh, whether we agree or disagree with it the first question uh, it is where do you think the season has gone wrong and why has it been such a disappointing campaign? And and for this one, we have a kind of strange kind of review of this season. A lot of talk about funding, being caught off guard, uh, not assembling a squad properly, uh, the Burton game, Tim Flowers. But uh, the, the kind of response from TK here seems to raise more questions than answers. Man, first of all, I mean, Let's look at what TK said there around why he felt the season has gone the way it has. I mean, do you agree or disagree with his diagnosis? I mean, we've discussed the, the problems of pre-season endlessly on the podcast. I mean, do you think TK is aware of, of where things have fundamentally gone wrong this season based on that answer?
1: No, because it's it seems to be a revision of history.
0: The, it, you know,
1: it, it does not... There's, there's things in that. I mean, the, the, my eyes went straight to the the, the blaming the player recruitment and the players getting their contracts expired based on the fact that, you know, Darren Curry may or may not have had some interest from a division two side uh, from a league two side. And I looked at that and I thought that's, that is, that is not true at all. Um, we know, you know, and what, we, what, what we know, and we've have discussed this already is we know that around December time in 2019, a lot of players were told, they will not be getting their contracts renewed because at that point, client had given up on us getting promoted and didn't expect us to go on the run. We did. And then it all, sp- and then suddenly to his, to his horror, we found ourselves in the playoffs and he had to go back to the same, some of these players who had been told they were going out the door and said, could you sign this contract to, to, you know, to increase it, to play in the playoffs. And understandably there was a half said, no, get lost, do one. And so for him to turn around and say that, that was linked to Darren Curry's uncertainty, that's that's not strictly that's not true at all. It's you know that but that that problem had started back in December. So that bit I, I was particularly like this is not not this you know he's he's trying to rewrite history here.
0: Trevor, what do you make of that?
2: Um, again, a bit the same as as Mem. Um, you know, I, I speak to Darren quite often um he uh he didn't have any interest from south end they might have been portraying that across the media he uh, you know spoken to me and said he didn't get close to an interview so to use that as the smoke screen um you know i, I think is, is the wrong thing to do the fact that he took so long to speak to darren and junior right from when we lost to knots county i think i put it in in the blog it worked out by the time we'd we'd finished playing Notts county and peter beadle had actually walked through the door we'd lost four weeks and if he had no intention of Darren and Junior staying he surely could have given that maybe a week after the after the playoff game got it sorted one way or the other they were going to stay or they weren't and then those extra two weeks may have made a difference. They may not, but the whole catalogue of everything getting too close together in terms of time meant we were shopping at the wrong end of the market because that's all that was left by the end.
0: It's interesting when we talk about shopping at the end of the market because that the final sentence in in TJ's answer there it says ultimately we have suffered very poor player recruitment and now find ourselves adrift from the pack with little to play for. I mean. There is a grain of truth in what he's saying around the fact that financially he must have committed to quite an outlay in terms of just the number of players that have been brought in. Um, you know, he says here, for example, that he obviously backed Peter Beadle, he backed in Flowers with nine signings. He's now in the last day or so backed another bunch of signings. Men, I mean, I guess from his perspective, he must be feeling incredibly frustrated that even though. Uh, he's investing a lot of money. He's a not getting the credit for that investment, and b that investment is is by any standard being wasted. What do you where do you think TK's mind's at in terms of investment in the playing staff and uh, and the structure of the squad? Um, and he must be feeling incredibly frustrated, I'd imagine.
1: Of course, I mean this, this season must have been. I mean, let's be fair. You've had managers coming in for 10, 12 games getting sacked. They've had to bear, you know, they've had to to experience all that. And then, he's a chairman, he's had to experience everything. He's had to experience all the issues. So, I'm sure it must be a real, real headache. Plus, he's got this big, you know, this big complex that he's, you know, not making any money. So, I can understand that from his perspective, this has been an absolute nightmare season. But what he's in getting, being so defensive, what he hasn't done is really acknowledged the fundamental flaws in how we approach the season. And in the way that we recruited and, and, um, and in the way that, um, you know, in, in the mixed up thinking behind it, this, this was a Mark Robson season all over again. It literally, we, we, we really, we literally replicated the Mark Robson season, Uh, started the season with a crap budget or, you know, a much smaller budget and ended up throwing tons of money at, at the squad, but you know, after about 10, 12 games.
0: But speaking speaking of the money there, Trevor. One of the things that TK obviously references is the the sort of the loans, the grants, uh, that sort of situation, and the fact that the league, um, you know, obviously changed, or the decision was changed midway through the season for the league to um, or the FA to offer uh, loans instead of grants. Based on your understanding of the general non-league scene and of Barnet, do, do you think that? That was a significant hit for us, more so than other clubs. Do you think that's something that TK would have been planning for? I mean, because it seems as though that is getting quite a lot of blame for some of the uncertainty. And I just wanted to get your sense of, of whether that's a feeling that's replicated across non-league, or whether you feel that that TK is sort of slightly overemphasizing. So overemphasizing the the importance of that in creating the uncertainty of the cover at the moment.
2: I, th- I think for him, you know, one of the things he would have known was being on the National League board at the time. I'm, I'm not sure if he still is. He would have known and been part of, and should have been part of those meetings that would have known we, we were getting grants, we were getting loans all the way through the season. So I think he would have um, anticipated, not necessarily budgeted, because we don't think the fans were going to come back in. But he would have, I think, been safe in the knowledge maybe that we'd have had the first grant, we'd have had the second grant and we would have gone through, you know, the season, even, even without the hive being able to generate money. Um, you know, I think we should have made it okay. But by the point we've got to now nearly halfway through April, he's probably spent far more money than he possibly needed to had just one or two decisions. He'd made a little bit better going back to the, you know, the beginning of the start of the season.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a common theme over over the last 20 years, right, is that we we, we skimp up front and then we pay for it later down the line, whereas actually building a, a good squad of 20 good players and um, building around a manager that's stable, we know that, for example, Darren, one of the reasons that Darren left was around budget and finance wasn't the only reason, there were other things as well. Um, but it, it does seem that, you know, if, if that was one of the driving forces this season uh, he's been proven completely <laughs> you know it, it's, it's, it's crazy that back in August we were pinching pounds and pinching pennies here and there and we've ended up spending so much money throughout the course of the season looking at sort of uh, uh, sort of contracts and wages the second question here is an update on the first team squad specifically the following of players and um, we, or me particularly, was quite frustrated and upset when Chesterfield uh, started doing this, particularly bringing in players. I think it's against the spirit of, of the furlough scheme. And I think football clubs, particularly at our level, which are members of the community, have a responsibility to, to hold ourselves to, to a fair standard, which isn't, isn't taking a mitt with these furlough payments. I mean, first of all, the, it's incredible that a club took so long. For, for them to respond to this because, you know, rumours have been circulating about furlough players for, for a good month or so now. Um, but secondly, some of the reasons why it's is here is it, we have put a small number of players on furlough when they have not been considered part of different managers' plans. I mean, man, that, that doesn't quite ring true. I cannot imagine a manager, even Graham Wesley at his worst, or Mark McGee, God forbid, who wouldn't want to play Scott Loaching goal. That, that just seems to be gaslighting from kiantis from
1: well, it's not. It's not just only Loach, the club captain. You know, he's he's, uh, what, he's saying the club captain, and that no manager. It doesn't fit the start. I mean, it's bonkers. It is bonkers. <laughs> um, the whole thing. So, yeah, and and also the fact that we've just how many right backs we brought in the season, uh, and uh, you know, on loan or you know, just on short term deals, and we've got a furloughed, you know, right back. I've uh, got two furloughed right backs or one. No, we've got we've got we've got one. Because uh, McQueen's now a midfield player, so you know, for people who, who are not looking at our Zoom screen, I'm putting my hands up in the air that, <laughs> in that kind of Alan Partridge way. Um, so uh, yeah, it's just it's just mad. It's just the whole furlough, the whole explanation around furlough, it just, it just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Trevor, that that I mean that from your understanding w- isn't the main reason that players have been furloughed. I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? as an explanation, because it does seem quite strange that we are following our best player and the club captain and anyone who picks up an injury. Um, It just seems like a a very odd explanation for it. What's your take on that?
2: I think it all comes down to wages. Um, I would imagine those two are probably on two of the biggest chunks of money in the budget. Um, Again, they're both Darren Curry signings that have now been sidelined. It's almost as if we're pushing everything that you know, belong to Darren, you know, is now out of the window. It's out of the way. It's not part of the team. Um, You know, I can, from a business point of view, I can understand it Um, from a moral and a personal point of view. I don't agree with it. It's not the sort of thing. I know other clubs have done it, um, but they've been vocal about what they've done. They've been vocal about the players that they've put on there as well. Um, I still don't see why we needed so much secrecy about it. Uh, some of the players have not been shy on social media to to say that they've been furloughed. Uh, I don't see I don't see what we're quite protecting here as part of it.
0: Yeah, it just feeds into a broader sense of a lack of transparency around the the, the club. You know, there's that famous quote that like, you know, a dictator's favorite tool is a referendum. I think that there's a an analogy to this insofar as you know, uh, someone who's looking to hide something, their favorite approach would be q and A Q&A where they decide the questions, decide the answers. It's but you know, it's very difficult to sort of scrutinize it. But this is, you know, there would be a couple of follow-up questions if this is a press conference or anything like that um, around some of these answers. Moving on to question three, probably the one that's picked up the most traction. Uh, the twittering idiots uh, is is uh, is genius uh, one of my favorite things um, uh, i've i've seen I, I cannot believe that we have got uh, a chairman calling uh, supporters twittering idiots it's absolutely extraordinary um but let's let's go through this almost line by line it, it's a question here around whether or not he's lost his passion for the club and can supporters be reassured that this is not the case um i think the question there uh, already uh, is quite leading um, because I don't think it's necessarily I think some supporters have said that he's lost his passion for the club I think the majority and this is brought out on the survey we did on Twitter are concerned about the lack of strategic direction for the club rather than passion um, you know anyone who watches Kiantos at a game or so on and so forth um, knows he's passionate about the club but it's perhaps about uh, the direction in which he channels that passion and um, I mean, man, looking at this first paragraph, you know, it, it, there's a sort of, I do question those who do not attend the matches uh, or invest in company, way, yet go on constantly on social media to abusefully complain about everything here. Uh, then there's references to Underhill, it's all the, all the, you know, all the bingo cards, Twittering idiots, real supporters never give up, uh, keyboard warriors, keyboard moaners. I mean, men, what, what, how on earth was this allowed to get beyond uh, the first draft of a, of a presser at 11 o'clock at night?
1: The problem is, is you know, as, as great as a job as the media team do, they're all very you sort of young, and you know, young. Uh, they're they, they, they they're all very young, and the fact is, is that they're not going to be turning around to clean Foss and saying that you can't say this. If it was Dennis Signe, and I think it was uh, Trevor brought up Dennis Signe uh, in his blog, he, he would be like, no, you, I'm I'm not right. I'm not putting this out, TK. He would have been like that. But they're youngsters, and they've got you know. At the end of the day, if 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 they don't if they don't put up what he says, and they try and cut it out, he's gonna you know they'll lose their job. So it ends up with this kind of rambling of a of a guy who's just you know just angry and it's not really thought thought through his you know his argument. I mean, what I know what he's referring to. He's referring to Barnet till I die. He's because it's they're they're a very it's a very angry uh, place for Barnet fans, and a lot of them are barnet fans who are from you know underhill times who don't come to the hive and then he sort of, sort of mixes up his social media with twittering idiots and um and you know so and i think actually i think barnet twitter is actually quite a considered um i think it's quite an, i think it's quite a considered we have good conversation there's good conversations good discussion and it doesn't really get that personal uh, on on barnet twitter it is barnet Twitter I does get very but he's just—he's just basically tarnishing everybody with the same brush. Um, and you know, I think John Lewis made a really good—I uh, think it was John Lewis—did put a really good post up on Only Barnett, where he talks about the fact that that some of us uh, do constructively criticise the chairman. But I think, like you said about you know, to do with like dictators and stuff, you've got you know, people have to be held to account, even if they are in charge, they have to be held to account for their decisions. And us sitting there just being happy clappers. Is you know he's not going to do the club any any good. Look what look what he's done with it. Look what he's done with the restructure of the club. He's uh, that has been something we've called for ages, and and it looks like finally he's come around to that way of thinking. But he, you know he needs to evolve. He needs to evolve as a chairman because he can't keep doing the same things he did in in you know in the late nineties. So
0: because because the, the club hasn't made any for meaningful progress. I mean the, the highest we finished like, on Atlantis I think is seventh. Right would have been that playoff season back in. In, in 99, 2000 or whatever it was, uh, the year before we were relegated. So he hasn't improved the club in that sense. Trevor, I mean, what were your thoughts on this? I, I guess one of the things that, you know, would have been quite frustrating is is what men was alluding to there, which is the idea that any reasonable critique, such as yourself or any podcast, you know, downhill second half, et cetera, are all sort of lumped together in this group of Twittering idiots. Um, what did you make of this response here?
2: Amazing, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's an old <laughs> adage that, that you can put across anywhere on social media. What makes one person more of a supporter than someone else? You know, for, for someone like me, that's a five-hour round trip from where I am to get to the hive. You know, it's almost impossible for me to make every game of the season with you know with with other commitments. I didn't buy streams this year until Tim Flowers took over. I was that fed up with the situation of, of what we'd gone for un, under Beadle. Um, I went to watch local games every single Saturday and Tuesday, um, literally because I could, and I didn't want to watch. I didn't want to watch Barnet, but you know, since then I've bought the stream, so I've got something something to blog. But in the past, I've sponsored numerous players ac- 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 across the years. But does that make me? any better than somebody that can go every week or somebody that can only go, you know, once in a, you know, once in a blue moon, you know, we, a lot, lot of people talk about, you know, we, we, we sell out for big games, which we do. And then the following week we end up with 1300 through. That was no different to when we played Chelsea in 1993, 94 season where we had 5,000 on the Saturday played Huddersfield the week after, and we were back to 1025. It's, just something our fan base seems to do
0: yeah it's interesting i mean just just sort of unpicking this a little bit further before we go to the next part of the q a um is the idea that he seems to be lumping in a bit of pulling out everything here right so it's the social media but it's also this link back to underhill 10 or more years ago etc etc i mean man do you get the sense that cleantis is is frustrated that there isn't more appreciation of what's happened at the Hive and and the work that's been done to make that a kind of an investment that brings fruit, not just well, not bears fruit, not just on match days, but around match days and in other areas. Do you, do you think he, that's one of his core cool frustrations here? Because it seems as though there's there's a lot of resentment in this post. Um, and it's interesting that he never once, you know, really uses the, the word fans uh, at all uh, in that, in that answer. It's, it's people or it's those, or it's people or individuals. It's just quite a strange and, and interesting point. That.
1: Well, he has used the word and, and it has been quoted on doing this around the hive that he has used the word that, that everybody's a customer. Uh, and I've heard that from several people who've worked at the club. That's, that's his favorite little phrase. Everybody's a customer, even the, even the Barnet team is a customer of the hive because, uh, the way that the, um, the way that the books are done is that Barnet are charged, Barnet FC are charged a, um, a, a use of rent for using the ground. Obviously it's all part of the same company, but it comes out of their budget. So the budget will will say, this is how much your budget for the year of which some of this goes to the hive for, you know, for using the facilities of the hive. So everybody's customer, even the football team. So but what i find strange is is that in business the customer's always right but in this case the customer isn't right and which i find odd being such a successful businessman that he is that he doesn't seem to look at that and go maybe the customer is right in this case maybe the the experience of the hive isn't the experience that um that the customers deserve or you know appreciate but instead he actually he's just lashing out and and saying to people that um you know, that you're wrong and I'm right. And why don't you appreciate me more? That's what it feels like.
0: And I'd imagine that there's a sense that whenever the club go through a rough patch or, and they have been going through a rough patch for a long time now, a lot of legacy issues do get pulled up, n- namely the Hive, right? It's difficult to have a conversation or a long-term conversation about Barnet without people thinking about the Hive or about the loss of identity. And there's some real questions that come onto that. I mean, I guess Trevor, from your perspective, if, if we're looking at what Clancy can do next in, in terms of trying to win supporters around, clearly a move back to, to Barnet for whatever reason at the moment is not looking particularly likely. What sort of things do you think would go some way to getting supporters back on side? Um, and do you think that it, it, that's there's that that's possible? Do you think that for some Barnet fans we know that the move away from the from Underhill is just too much to to you know, to, to stomach. And that's completely fair. Um, but do you think that there is enough of a middle ground for clients to try and win over, to try and boost attendances and to get people engaged? Those people like perhaps you, you know, you saying yourself who are huge Barnet fans but weren't investing in the streams because, you know, people just fed up. Right. And they and they're not as engaged as they once were a few years ago. Um, what, what would your recommendations be to him? He needs
2: to, he just needs to listen, listen, to, listen to what people want, you know, um, there will be times he's not going to be able to implement some of that stuff because it's going to be a little bit too far-fetched. It's not going to be something that, that Barnett can can invest in. But to tar everyone with the same brush with that statement has probably pushed even more people further away from the club than they were you know in the last few weeks. A lot of people I know, uh, have become a little more detached as the weeks have gone on because we've sort of bumbled our way through. You know, blessing Gary Anderson trying to trying to run a team that he doesn't look like he wants to be in the position of doing, and a few more people have, have turned off again. But if he's not going to entertain to listen, he's going to find it hard to get those people back back through the gates. He doesn't have to, you know, implement everything that people ask for. He can he can have a look and go yep I can do this no I can't do this it's you know not possible but it's got to be a bit of a two-way a bit of a two-way street really and you know Tony's shown over the years that that's not the way he wants to operate so you know it's it's going to be difficult for him to drag it back around I think the other way.
0: Just in the final part of this this first section and then we'll come to you just in just a second we we put up on on uh on twitter a bunch of questions um around uh sort of very simple like you know multiple choice questions um and a couple that really jumped out to me i'd be curious just for both of your thoughts on this we'll go to them first of all is one around whether clients has been a good chairman for barnet um, and whether you think he's the best man to take us forwards in the future. I mean, I know Mem it's so convoluted with the structure of the hive and the finances of the different clubs, um, sorry, different different uh, organizations, et cetera. But I guess do, do you think that clancy has got enough about him to to make these changes that he's talking about later on in the statement, which we'll go into in a moment? Or do you feel that his sort of his time is coming to an end as increasingly seems to be um, the sense among certain aspects of the fan base?
1: Are you saying coming to an end as in in terms of uh, the support from the fan base, or are you talking about it's coming to an end as in his interest in continuing to be the owner and chairman of Barnet?
0: The latter. So about his interest in becoming or remaining his owner?
1: No, I think, to be honest, I think he's, I think his heels are dug in because I think he's, he's managed to build this, um, this empire. He's not going to, he's not going to now give it up, you know, to, um, you know to, to you know to what you know without sort of seeing the fruit of fruits of his labor i think he wants to see, his, see the you know it all come, come to fruition but i think he's probably getting quite frustrated with the fact that he's built this you know this amazing uh, business um from very little um and he's not getting the praise that he wants to um but i can't see him selling it and, and it's what we've discussed this before the way that the the the, the, the hive is so valuable now there is no way in hell that anybody's going to buy this club in, in a meaningful way. So that's the difficult bit. And, and actually I wanted what was interesting as well. And I'd like to, to see the club progress. I'm surprised that actually he hasn't thought, you know what, I'm not getting the engagement from the supporters that I, I like, and I'm really f- f- frustrated I need to be the one that sets up some sort of supporter liaison group or I need and I know there there was one but it seems to have gone a bit quiet but maybe he needs to sort of say you know what we need representation from the supporters on you know within the club as in some sort of you know on the board or whatever so somebody who's respected amongst the supporters to sit on the board with um you know and be involved in their decisions and and have you know and and that might be a way of starting to reach out to to the fan base to say you know what i do appreciate what you're saying and um, i'm going to start to try and take on board but at first he has to acknowledge the fact that that um that he has been hasn't done things as well as he could have
0: the final question for for trevor before we we take a mini break and go on to the second part, looking at the next few months for Barnet. One of the things that is interesting, Trevor, from a Barnet perspective is, is looking at all this stuff internally. So like our fans and how they respond. And we obviously care passionately about this football club and want to see it succeed. And so these things are, you know, huge events for us, the statement, the, the results, etc. One of the things that has increasingly been a theme of which we picked up in the last few years is that the instability at Barnet and the changes are beginning to have an impact on how the club is perceived by the wider football community. Um, and that, that can go from managers to players, etc. Increasingly, there are these little bits and bobs on social media uh, of players having a dig. We know that ex coaches are having a bit of a dig at the club. And it does seem to be a little bit more than, than your usual sour grapes if something hasn't quite worked out at an organisation do you think that there's any sort of medium, long-term reputational damage being done to the club at the moment? Um, do you feel that that's something that TK is aware of? Or do you feel that that's sort of, uh, you know, being overblown a little bit by, by a pretty bad season?
2: A little bit. I think, um, I think a lot of people are a lot more aware, especially the fact we were in the playoffs last year and we've sunk, you know, to an absolute low. You know, granted, we've got a completely different squad but the players that we do have, a lot of them played National League football last year for clubs. So they can't have been that bad throughout their careers, not to be able to play at at that level. So I think, I think it's magnified itself a lot more than perhaps we maybe expected it to. Um, Maybe the the appointment of Beadle in and out within two months, Tim comes in, in and out within two months. It's certainly magnified a heck of a lot more, especially Obviously, with the amount of social media coverage that um, that you can get, in agreement with what Men was saying um, about the way Tony operates, um, I think if he if he starts to split it down a little bit into he's got someone running the high for him, um, he has someone running the football side for him. He still oversees everything. I think you might find a little bit of a change within the, you know, the whole empire so to speak Um, you know whether he's ready to do that yet um, I don't quite know I mean you know he's been chairman for uh, Barnet for nearly 30 years I think it is it's a long time for anyone to sit in one position um, and to try and control everything and not every club's got the little empire we've got there sitting in sitting in Harrow Um, but I think the way forward is he just needs to start splitting it a little bit and, and, and bringing some people in to help him
0: Well, bringing people in to help is what we're going to look at um, just after this break. Gents, thanks very much so far. We're going to take a very brief break and we're back with you in just a sec to go through uh, some on-field matters. Okay, welcome back everyone. Um, Thank you for staying with us. We spent a lot of the first half looking at the earlier parts of TK's statement uh, in relation to off-field matters. We're now going to uh, have a little look at some on field matters. Um, and we're actually going to jump a question from uh, recruitment uh, through to one around the vision on the structure going forwards in terms of the first team setup. Now, man, we've been uh, clamoring for a long time uh, for a more professional setup behind the scenes, whether that be uh, in terms of nutrition or in terms of scouting or in terms of recruitment. And um, first of all, just take us through what has happened what has changed in terms of how we set up and then give us your thoughts on on whether or not you think that this is a a positive step and i guess finally whether or not this is actually a genuine long-term change or is it just the latest pivot in response to uh, another managerial appointment not quite working out
1: okay so going back so we heard a couple of um a couple of weeks ago, uh, we heard from various sources that it actually the club had employed a director of football. um Now we've mentioned the name before; we've mentioned it. We've got, so I'm happy to mention it again, but we don't know what's going on because that. Because interesting enough, um it was we were told that Jamie Fullerton was now the director of football at Barnet. But interesting enough, he in this statement he's not being mentioned at all. But I do know that Jamie Fullerton was involved in in some interviewing some of the managers, um, and throughout this whole process we've now um Simon Bassey has been announced as first team coach uh with Dave Anderson um as a goalkeeping coach uh, apparently um and he's got wealth of experience you know from being at Hendon Simon Bassey's been at uh, Wimbledon uh throughout a lot of his career there appears to be an extra person that looks like might be coming in as well um we've heard that Dave Brennan's been interviewed but he's not i've been told recently he's not been offered the job uh, or he's not not he's not been offered the job that that no offer has been made to him yet and when looking at uh, Bassi's uh, career you can see that um he worked a lot with Neil Ardley and Neil Ardley is uh, is obviously now out of work so could he be keeping the seat warm and then assessing the team assessing the you know the the methods and then bringing in Neil Ardley at some point so if all of that sort of lines up, potentially we could end up with in the summer a director of football with a first, you know, head coach, first team coach and goalkeeping coach on top of the, um, you know, the work already that Gary Anderson's doing as head of performance and Ollie Galloway is the physio. Now, what if I found a bit, of an int- a bit of a red herring in this is that Ricky Bartlett has been added into this as football operations and logistics now from my understanding of that role of of what that role entails it is essentially an administrative job it's not anything to do with sort of actually sort of vision for you know and for the for the football club and ricky bartlett's been in the club for a while now but he's announced that he's apparently is he's joining us in july now i the only thing i can think of as to why he's made that sort of that is that maybe is ricky working for a different part of the business and he's moving to barnet within the you know moving across divisions within uh, within the whole empire so and that's why he's saying he's moving across in july is he moving from another part of the business to to barnet so that's where we're at the moment we've only got two coaches have been announced but i believe that, that we should that there is a director of football in place already and that i i think i'm speculating here i'm not sure about this one but we could end up with another with a with a head coach as well in the
0: summer. summer what are your thoughts
2: I've got to back up what Mem said, to be honest. Uh, you know, these two guys have come in, Simon and and Dave, to see us through the 13 games to just get the season out, out, out of the way. You know, Simon's first interview was, I thought, quite, you know, quite quite impressive that, you know, um, they want to be competitive for those 13 games. Um, you know, they're going to use the time to have have a look, really, if any of those players are still going to be worthy of a, of a place for next season. And, you um, the way the structure is set up, I can't see how someone else won't be coming in as, as Mem said, as a head coach or first team manager, just literally because the amount of people that we would have interviewed, Dean Brennan being one, um, he's available. Um, Neil Smith, if he interviewed, he's available. We would have appointed now. We wouldn't be waiting until the summer because there's a good chance they'll go somewhere else. The hardly thing fits for me, again, because... Simon's also um, worked underneath him and he whether he's got a clause when he got sacked by Notts County that he can't take charge of any National League club before the season ends, again, that would fit nicely with why we can't appoint him now, but he can have a month and a half doing his homework so that as soon as the end of May comes and we finish that last game, in he comes, recruitment's ready, off we go. And the guys that have come in now have spent the 13 games being able to report back and say he's good enough, he's not. We need to strengthen here and we need to go there. That's that's ex- you know, that's how I see it as well. It might not be Neil Ardley, it could be someone else, but with what's been appointed underneath, um, and if Jamie Fullerton is the director of football, there's a not county link prior to when Neil Ardley was there, but it just all fits nicely as a jigsaw.
0: One of the things that TK talks about, which I think is something that we've said for a long time, is that if you base your backroom staff around a single individual, EG Martial, and that individual goes, whether they are good or bad, um, then you're in trouble. And if you look at really good football clubs um, that sustain success over a long period of time, you here hear potentially about clubs like Southampton uh, or Leicester, um, or you know, lower down the leagues. Watford to an extent were a great example. We were in the chat with Tom, De- Tom Bedell a few weeks ago about this. You know, Watford have a policy of firing the manager every, every year or so and it, and it works reasonably well. Um, I guess two questions. Mem, do you think it matters with this setup who the first team manager is as much as in previous years? Uh, So if it is the case that everything is being set up around Ardley, is there a danger that we wander into the trap we're trying to avoid, which is that we've built a backroom staff that are tightly knit into an individual. And if that individual doesn't work out, for whatever reason, we're going to struggle. Second question is, have we actually moved to a stage of appointing a glut of people too quickly? And there is going to be a danger that actually we end up with too many cooks? Um, and a, a danger that perhaps there's some crossover and some you know a little bit of, of kind of friction there and finally do you think that this is tk's long-term plan to do it like this or is this just another crew of the south mark robson moment that will be washed over when we're 15th or worse um, in the middle of september next year
1: no, I think, well, to be honest, this is perfect. If you're going to bring in a bunch of people in one one moment, do it now. Because the fact is you've got games to actually implement it um, and you have time for them to get used to it. Um, and I made this comment I made this comment earlier because somebody was saying, oh, this is like far too, somebody said on the forum earlier, it, this is far too involved for Barnet, and it's just over the top and blah, blah, blah. But the point is, is that when you look at the size of what, what Barnet is compared to other clubs, is that we are operating with a massive business. It is a huge business, um, Barnet, now, the whole with, with all the complex. So, if you can have enough people to take responsibility for the football inside, so Cleanthos can, can focus on the main business, which is bringing in, you know, making sure that the hive runs smoothly, so that we bring in an income which can be p- passed through to the team, then that's a good thing. The second thing is, is that Klienfos made a point about recruitment within his statement. And he was saying about even I could have selected, you know, I could have picked something out of the hat and got better players. So the question is, is that when you've got a manager comes in, who is challenging currently, who is challenging the manager as to say, are you sure that guy is the right fit for this club? Are you sure that we're getting the right price for that guy? Or are you sure that actually he's going to improve your team? Now it's very difficult for clean out for a conversation. He could talk about it from a monetary perspective, but he can't talk about it from a quality perspective and a technical perspective because he's not a football, he's not, you know, he's not a coach. He's not, a, you know, he's, he's a chairman who understands a bit about football, but he's not a technical guy. So if we can have several guys in there bashing each other's going, you know, challenging each other saying, are you sure that guy is good enough? No, i not actually, no, I'm not going to die on this hill with this player. Fine that's the kind of checks and processes and and the kind of rigorous, um, decision-making in a rigorous kind of discussion that we need. So we don't end up with a squad of 30, 30 to 35 players every single season and that we can have a tight knit group of players that all the coaches are saying, yeah, we totally trust these players. These guys are really good players. Um, and I, and I, and I, and I, you know, I really like that. And I know Trevor will probably allude to this of, of you know what might be what might the, f- the future of Barnet might look like. So um, I think that we're setting ourselves up not exactly how I'd like us to, to set up.
0: One of the, the things that is interesting here in terms of restructuring. The playing side, Trevor, is, is how this links into the general hive business and how that operates, which is a bunch of sort of slightly siloed businesses and, and operations. Based on your understanding, do you think that, that this is a fundamental change from TK on the footballing side? Do you think he's trying to make uh, the football side more like the hive? Um, and I guess, like, a, a, another quite important question is sort of succession planning because. It seems like we're putting in a lot of great emphasis around the playing side and the playing stuff. But fundamentally, this entire football club is is really tightly knotted into an individual, which is TK. And and without him, um, whether you, people want him or don't want him, it's very difficult to imagine what Barnett would look like. It's not to say it wouldn't exist, but just what would it look like? So I guess in the, in the first instance, do you feel that this change is here to stay? And in the second instance, what are your thoughts kind of long, long-term, like 20 years or so, as to what Barnet might look like in terms of footballing side.
2: Agreeing with Mem, this is the sort of structure that we need. I don't agree that it's over the top. It's going to be more than what others have, and it should help us benefit literally from the way that our club is run because we've got that huge, great complex and income stream, which other clubs in the National League, League Two and League One, don't have. So the football side needs, needs that right balance to it. And... With the, with the succession plan, I think as well, if, if you look at Bassie and the fact he's done two caretaker stints at Wimbledon, um, coupled with all the promotions he's won there, should say, for example, Neil Ardley comes in, does a fantastic job, bigger club up the road, turns his head, he goes, you would expect Simon to step straight in and take the reins. This is what I'm, you know, I'm hoping this is what this looks like in, in TK's mind with the way he goes. And he's obviously still got a director of football above his head that will help guide and send the football club down the right path. 20 years time, you would hope we're well, TK wanted us in league one within five years of, I think our last promotion and five years later, we're actually at the opposite end of the national league with it as it goes. But, you know, I asked him one of my blogs, I think it must've been, I think it might've been when Tim went, um, for him to pick a strategy, stick with it and trust the process. Whether he's read that, I doubt. So I'm not going to take the credit for it, but um, it's what it needs, but he needs to stick with it. Uh, You know, a a bit like he, he had that vision with Mark Robson, wasn't the right coach, had maybe the right vision of what he wanted to do. But again, he allows himself to get distracted and know that not working. So we've got to rip it up, put it in the bin and start again. Um, and I think hopefully this structure will allow us then to stop being that yo-yo club that can do a little bit, but then go backwards a lot more and actually establish it ourselves with what we've got inside league two comfortably, maybe even as a league one club, if those plans for the wrap round and everything in the hive as well, you know, actually do come off.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's gotta be the, the hope, and. Um, if not necessarily the expectation, based on the last five years. Just moving now on to on-pitch matters, I think one of the more shocking moments I've seen, aside from his statement, was the interview with Harry Taylor uh, that was posted um, in the aftermath of the Wells defeat on Saturday. I mean, once again, a red card, a poor performance, conceding a handful of goals within the first half of an hour. Mem, what did you take from that interview as what might be happening behind the scenes on the playing side away from tk away from all of the stuff that's going on with the twittering idiots the actual players and the managers and the management stuff what is going on inside that dressing room because that interview was heartbreaking and really really troubling
1: yeah i think i think it wasn't i think 99 of the supporter base just their heart was breaking from seeing that because you know they they know what a servant harry taylor has been for this club and last season he was one of our best players um he does a lot of the unseen work works works like a dog for the team and he's and he fills in wherever he needs to fill in and he's you know he is the epitome of a, a club man and yet this season he's had to sit there and get battered game after game after game with a revolving cast of people who've come and gone and I can I I only imagine how crushing that must be every week. And he must go in the change room every every game and just sit there going, "I just want this season to end." And he's probably looking around, and there's probably members of that team. And I'm not I'm just speculating here now, but I can imagine there's probably members of that team who've come into the change room, check their phones, messing around, bantering with their mate, like like they haven't lost. And he's probably sitting there going, "This is really hurting me. Why is it not hurting you?" And that's how it felt from what he was, you know, coming across in in the way he explained and described about the fact that, well, I'll be here giving 100, but I'm not sure about, I can't, you know, about the others. I mean, that 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 to me suggests, you know, tra- tra- changing rooms where teams are losing are not great places to be. They're great when they, when you're winning, but when you're losing. they they can be quite toxic. And I can imagine that the Barnet change room at the moment is not a nice place to be.
0: Uh, Trevor, one of the things that um, was quite shocking was just how blunt that Harry Taylor was around the lack of effort from other players. It's not something we normally see, or very rarely see from it, from professionals, actually. It's, It's really, really uncommon. I mean, sometimes with the odd manager, it might happen when they're really frustrated. It's generally a sign they're losing the dressing room. But for him to sort of stand there and allude to the fact that there might be a handful of players that are giving it a go and the rest aren't bothered. That, that must be ringing alarm bells for you as well, mate.
2: I, you know, to be honest, I loved it. It was brutal. It was honest. The only thing I didn't like was he looked completely broken, as if that, that, that defeat against Wildstone on Monday was the final straw. I think it was something that needed to come out, not maybe just from him, but for people to see that it's not pleasant at the moment, um, and you know, not every player is going to be struggling inside that dressing room. As Mem said, there's going to be a few there that you know might not might not actually give a toss about being in a Barnet shirt next year. Players like Harry, you know, what we achieved last year, uh, you know, and obviously watching his brother go on to you know play at a higher level and get picked for his country as well, that must be that must be something that sort of irks him a little bit because um, as as players, probably the four or five that's still here from last year have all regressed. But um, none of them are looking, maybe Lochi aside, as, as having had anywhere close to the season they had last year. And I think that's what the you know the quality that that, that hasn't been around him has you know has dragged them down. I, I think it was something that that you know people needed to see. It it hurt a lot of people, and you know um, a lot of people will feel sorry for you know for for him for others within inside the club, but I, I definitely think something that needed to be seen.
0: Yeah, it's, it's odd. I mean, the media team, after we, we missed uh, Tim Flowers' uh, long-lost interview after the kings Lynn game, which I would have loved to have seen, a, a, you know, a 70-year-old Michael Gash just knocking balls home from the six-yard box to see his reaction to that. It did seem odd that they put it up, but fair play to them. I think it was something they didn't need to come out um, albeit a very sad and upsetting um, for anyone who's, who's followed Barnett for the last five or six years just to see a player like that with so much potential just being completely broken and I think it alludes to a broader point around the we've got to be so careful about how we manage young players in particular through this there's often a clamour when there's nothing left just say oh play the kids you know chuck in the kids whatever um, but we've got to be careful not to underdevelop some of those kids and you look back at some of the players we've had you know, like Jamal Lowe or you know, the, the group of players that came through, like Nana, Kiyai, etc. You've got to be really careful about how you manage their development. And so chucking in a bunch of young players for final 13 games isn't necessarily the best way of going about things. And um, I guess going on to the sort of footballing side then, man, we've, we've seen Barnett this year go from a Beedle side, which was, I guess, like very vanilla, um, an, an attempt to try and play progressive football, back to Tim Flowers, which was a m- lot more, root, you know, incredibly route one, as we said, team playing in transition. And then from there back into a sort of fair class which was a little bit more organised, a little bit more uh, spirited at least, albeit with some glaring issues. What, what sort of football side are we now? Um, because at the moment it feels that nothing is really certain on a week-by-week basis, apart from the fact there'll be a red card and we'll lose by a handful of goals. Um, is that is that is that what we're about
1: then? Well, that's what we were up until a point. I mean, there's something about. I mean, I I've done a a bit of digging around about um, Bassi because I was, in, I was truly intrigued to see what what you know what the guy was like, and all the people I spoke to said he's a good guy and he's a really good coach. They've all superlatives, all of them, were saying this guy is a really good guy. Um, so I'm 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 intrigued as to what he can do. And Dave Anderson's been around the scene for years, so. He knows his stuff. I'm intrigued what they can do with this group of players. I I mean, it's group. It's a team that is sincere, you know, severely lacking in quality. So I'm not expecting to suddenly start playing like Barcelona. But let's see what let's see what the kind of patterns they're going to kind of do. And I'm expecting us to play a bit of football now. Um, And I and I expect, you know, I expect hopefully that the team looks a bit more organised. I think Bassi said in his interview that the first things first is just make us, you know, stop making us getting bat, you know, stop the batterings and stuff so that ultimately is where we're at we're a team that like you know like a pub team that we're at the bottom of the table you turn up and you bang five goals past and you get you three points and say see you later lads um that's what we've become so hopefully Bassy can make it so that it's not five and it's we're always in, in the games
0: have you have you noticed anything down on the pitch in terms of of what we're trying to do or, or, or things that have changed at all in the last few weeks because it does seem like them saying that we are essentially just a, not a very good team with nothing about us 11 players who we can find whoever's not on furlough just goes into the side and then we we set up and and try as best we can not to get hammered is that is that fair or do you think that we're, we're being a little bit harsh there on what we're saying
2: no 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 I think we're right you know Paul Fairclough showed in two games that actually some of those players can pass the football Five yards to each other, um, and and you know, and he did that inside two weeks. So there is a little bit there in at least some of the players. Not to overcomplicate it, because I don't think they're at a level where they can do that. I think under Gary, we we tried again a little bit the same, but not with the same maybe cajoling from the from the sideline that you know Paul's capable of doing. Um, what we'll get from from these two as mem said i think we'll try and play a little bit more football i know simon's very highly rated um i've spoken to dave quite often over the last couple of months as it was actually long before he was uh, talked about coming into here um and you know he said to me if he didn't think simon was good enough he wouldn't be putting his reputation on the line which is very very good um you know to sit behind him for for, for for a couple of seasons. So, you know, and and having already bought you know two players in uh, ready for the weekend, you know, shows that there are some players out there maybe that they can, you know, pinch whether they're a view to next season, whether they're just the short term for the next 13 games. Um, I, don't, I don't quite know yet. But I think as so long as as so long as we don't get battered as Mem said, we're a little bit tighter at the at the back. We look as if we know how to defend. Um, we keep the ball away from Eamon because, you know, he's a young keeper who at the moment is getting shots fired at him left, right and centre because we're not strong enough in front of him. And that and that defending starts from the front, which I don't think we've been strong enough anywhere close to the whole season. So I hope come Saturday, you know, we just see a little bit more, a little bit more pride and, you know, a little a little bit of a better performance. It's not going to happen overnight, but, you know, just take the little bits you can get.
0: Fantastic. Well, as we draw to a close then, uh, the final question for me this evening is, is kind of what we hope to see over the next 13 games or so. Um, I mean, Mem, it's it's been a really difficult season. We've conceded 72 goals. Uh, we've got a goal difference of minus 50. Um, someone said we've had more red cards and more players on furlough than we've had games that we've won or drawn. So it's quite the record. Any stat you want, you're going to get with this side. But just to, to sort of sum up on the final question, Mem, what would you like to see us uh, try and achieve in the final um, sort of 13
1: games of the second season. I'd like to see the beginnings of uh, style, uh, beginnings of some sort of uh, idea, you know, idea almost of what the team's going to look like. I'd like to sort of see and potentially trying to see if we can get some, a few results before the end of the season and potentially see if there are any players that, you know, that are salvageable for next season. Um, you know, they've all been poor. But the fact is, there could be one or two that we've, you know, we've not really uh, given any credit because just been, you know, it's difficult for them to stand out. So, could it be that we've there? There is a couple of players that might be good for next season. So, just getting a sort of flavour of what what to expect for next season, really.
0: travel about yourself.
2: Yeah, pretty much what 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 Mem said as well. You know, try and just try and be, you know, tight, not too expansive, but trying to just trying to see search it if there's something in some of those players you've got player like JJ Hooper who was fantastic at, at Bromley didn't hit the heights at brexham was wanted by us last summer as well to come in yet he's, he's he's looked at times he's looked interested at times he's looked a little bit lost maybe so I'm you know I think there's a striker in there it's whether they can coax it out of him over the next 13 games enough to you know, make a decision and say, you know, we'll have him for next year or whether we, you know, look down a a different route. I don't know how many of the loan signings we have are a potential for next year that are out of contract that would be a consideration if the 13 games, you know, show that they've got something, Um, you know, I don't quite know, but literally, you know, every, every player that's able to pull on a shirt in the 16 in the next 13 games, is on trial for a for a contract for next year. Quite simple. Quite simple as that.
0: Well, gents, it's been quite the week uh, for for Barnett um, over the course of the last uh, few. Uh, well, of all of all the weeks of this season, it's been one of the strangest ones. And um, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I will leave our good listeners to decide uh, which one of us three is a twittering idiot and which one of us three is a constructive uh, critique uh, or critiquer of Tony Client. And by FC, we will be back uh, shortly uh, to take a little look um, at what has happened, what changes under the reign of Bassi, and indeed anyone else who comes into the club. Um, But for now, gents, thank you so much for joining me. Um, We hope that you are all safe and well, and we look forward to hopefully seeing you at the Hive very very soon.